Section 15 of Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rome by Emil Zola, translated by Ernest Visitelli. Chapter 8, Part 1. When Pierre remained in the morning at the Bocanera mansion, he often spent some hours in the little neglected garden which had formerly ended with a sort of colonnaded loggia whence two flats of steps descended to the tiber this garden was a delightful solitary nook perfumed by the ripe fruit of the centenarian orange trees whose symmetrical lines were the only indication of the former pathways now hidden beneath rank weeds and pierre also found there the acrid scent of the large box shrubs growing in the old central fountain basin which had been filled up with loose earth and rubbish on those luminous october mornings full of such tender and penetrating charm the spot was one where all the joy of living might well be savoured but pierre brought thither his northern dreaminess his concern for suffering his steadfast feeling of compassion which rendered yet sweeter the caress of the sunlight pervading that atmosphere of love he seated himself against the right-hand wall on a fragment of a fallen column over which a huge laurel cast a deep black shadow fresh and aromatic in the antique greenish sarcophagus beside him on which fawns offered violence to nymphs the streamlet of water trickling from the mask encrusted in the wall set the unchanging music of its crystal note whilst he read the newspapers and the letters which he received all the communications of good abbe rose who kept him informed of his mission among the wretched ones of gloomy paris now already steeped in fog and mud one morning however pierre unexpectedly found benedetta seated on the fallen column which he usually made his chair she raised a light cry of surprise on seeing him and for a moment remained embarrassed for she had with her his book new rome which she had read once already but had then imperfectly understood and overcoming her embarrassment she now hastened to detain him making him sit down beside her and frankly owning that she had come to the garden in order to be alone and apply herself to an attentive study of the book in the same way as some ignorant schoolgirl then they began to chat like a pair of friends and the young priest spent a delightful hour although benedetta did not speak of herself he realized that it was her grief alone which brought her nearer to him as if indeed her own sufferings enlarged her heart and made her think of all who suffered in the world patrician as she was regarding social hierarchy as a divine law she had never previously thought of such things and some pages of pierre's book greatly astonished her what one ought to take interest in the lowly realize that they had the same souls and the same griefs as oneself and seek in brotherly or sisterly fashion to make them happy she certainly sought to acquire such an interest but with no great success for she secretly feared that it might lead her into sin as it could not be right to alter aught of the social system which had been established by god and consecrated by the church charitable she undoubtedly was wont to bestow small sums in alms but she did not give her heart she felt no true sympathy for the humble belonging as she did to such a different race which looked to a throne in heaven high above the seats of the plebeian elect she and pierre however found themselves on other mornings side by side in the shade of the laurels near the trickling singing water and he lacking occupation weary of waiting for a solution which seemed to recede day by day fervently strove to animate this young and beautiful woman with some of his own fraternal feelings he was impassioned by the idea that he was catechizing italy herself the queen of beauty who was still slumbering in ignorance 
but who would recover all her past glory if she were to awake to the new times with soul enlarged swelling with pity for men and things reading good abbe rose's letters to benedetta he made her shudder at the frightful wail of wretchedness which ascends from all great cities with such deep tenderness in her eyes with the happiness of love reciprocated emanating from her whole being why should she not recognize even as he did that the law of love was the sole means of saving suffering humanity which through hatred incurred the danger of death and to please him she did try to believe in democracy in the fraternal remodelling of society but among other nations only not at rome for an involuntary gentle laugh came to her lips whenever his words evoked the idea of the poor still remaining in the trastevere district fraternizing with those who yet dwelt in the old princely palaces no no things had been as they were so long they could not must not be altered and so after all pierre's pupil made little progress she was in reality simply touched by the wealth of ardent love which the young priest had chastely transferred from one alone to the whole of humankind and between him and her as those sunlit october mornings went by a tie of exquisite sweetness was formed they came to love one another with deep pure fraternal affection amidst the great glowing passion which consumed them both then one day benedetta her elbow resting on the sarcophagus spoke of dario whose name she had hitherto refrained from mentioning ah poor amico how circumspect and repentant he had shown himself since that fit of brutal insanity at first to conceal his embarrassment he had gone to spend three days at naples and it was said that la tonietta the sentimental demi-mondaine had hastened to join him there wildly in love with him since his return to the mansion he had avoided all private meetings with his cousin and scarcely saw her except at the monday receptions when he wore a submissive air and with his eyes silently entreated forgiveness yesterday however continued benedetta i met him on the staircase and gave him my hand he understood that i was no longer angry with him and was very happy what else could i have done one must not be severe for ever besides i do not want things to go too far between him and that woman i want him to remember that i still love him and am still waiting for him oh he is mine mine alone but alas i cannot say the word our affairs are in such sorry plight she paused and two big tears welled into her eyes the divorce proceedings to which she alluded had now come to a standstill fresh obstacles ever arising to stay their course pierre was much moved by her tears for she seldom wept she herself sometimes confessed with her calm smile that she did not know how to weep but now her heart was melting and for a moment she remained overcome leaning on the mossy crumbling sarcophagus whilst the clear water falling from the gaping mouth of the tragic mask still sounded its flute-like note and a sudden thought of death came to the priest as he saw her so young and so radiant with beauty half fainting beside that marble resting-place where fauns were rushing upon nymphs in a frantic bacchanal which proclaimed the omnipotence of love that omnipotence which the ancients were fond of symbolizing on their tombs as a token of life's eternity and meantime a faint warm breeze passed through the sunlit silent garden wafting hither and thither the penetrating scent of box and orange one has so much strength when one loves pierre at last murmured yes yes you are right she replied already smiling again i am childish but it is the fault of your book it is only when i suffer that i properly understand it 
but all the same i am making progress am i not since you desire it let all the poor all those who suffer as i do be my brothers and sisters then for a while they resumed their chat on these occasions benedetta was usually the first to return to the house and pierre would linger alone under the laurels vaguely dreaming of sweet sad things often did he think how hard life proved for poor creatures whose only thirst was for happiness one monday evening at a quarter past ten only the young folks remained in donna serafina's reception room monsignor nani had merely put in an appearance that night and cardinal sarno had just gone off even donna serafina in her usual seat by the fireplace seemed to have withdrawn from the others absorbed as she was in contemplation of the chair which the absent morano still stubbornly left unoccupied chatting and laughing in front of the sofa on which sat benedetta and celia were dario pierre and narcisse Abert, the last of whom had begun to twit the young prince having met him so he asserted a few days previously in the company of a very pretty girl oh don't deny it my dear fellow continued narcisse for she was really superb she was walking beside you and you turned into a lane together the borgo angelico i think dario listened smiling quite at his ease and incapable of denying his passionate predilection for beauty no doubt no doubt it was i i don't deny it he responded only the inferences you draw are not correct and turning towards benedetta who without a thought of jealous anxiety wore as gay a look as himself as though delighted that he should have enjoyed that passing pleasure of the eyes he went on it was the girl you know whom i found in tears six weeks ago yes that bead-worker who was sobbing because the workshop was shut up and who rushed along all blushing to conduct me to her parents when i offered her a bit of silver pierina her name is as you perhaps remember oh yes pierina well since then i've met her in the street on four or five occasions and to tell the truth she is so very beautiful that i've stopped and spoken to her the other day for instance i walked with her as far as a manufacturer's but she hasn't yet found any work and she began to cry and so to console her a little i kissed her she was quite taken aback at it but she seemed very well pleased at this all the others began to laugh but suddenly celia desisted and said very gravely you know dario she loves you you must not be hard on her dario no doubt was of celia's opinion for he again looked at benedetta but with a gay toss of the head as if to say that although the girl might love him he did not love her a bead-worker indeed a girl of the lowest classes pooh she might be a venus but she could be nothing to him and he himself made merry over his romantic adventure which narcisse sought to arrange in a kind of antique sonnet a beautiful bead-worker falling madly in love with a young prince as fair as sunlight who touched by her misfortune hands her a silver crown then the beautiful bead-worker quite overcome at finding him as charitable as handsome dreaming of him incessantly and following him everywhere chained to his steps by a link of flame and finally the beautiful bead-worker who has refused the silver crown so entreating the handsome prince with her soft submissive eyes that he at last deigns to grant her the arms of his heart this pastime greatly amused benedetta but celia with her angelic face and the air of a little girl who ought to have been ignorant of everything remained very grave and repeated sadly dario dario she loves you you must not make her suffer then the contesina in her turn was moved to pity and these poor folks are not happy said she oh exclaimed the prince it's misery beyond belief on the day she took me to the quartiere dei prati i was quite overcome 
it was awful astonishingly awful but i remember that we promised to go to see the poor people resumed benedetta and we have done wrong in delaying our visit so long for your studies monsieur l'abbé Fromont, you greatly desired to accompany us and see the poor of rome was that not so as she spoke she raised her eyes to pierre who for a moment had been silent he was much moved by her charitable thought for he realized by the faint quiver of her voice that she desired to appear a docile pupil progressing in affection for the lowly and the wretched moreover his passion for his apostolate had at once returned to him oh said he i shall not quit rome without having seen those who suffer those who lack work and bread therein lies the malady which affects every nation salvation can only be attained by the healing of misery when the roots of the tree cannot find sustenance the tree dies well resumed the contessina we will fix an appointment at once you shall come with us to the quartiere dei prati dario will take us there at this the prince who had listened to the priest with an air of stupefaction unable to understand the simile of the tree and its roots began to protest distressfully no no cousin take monsieur l'abbé for a stroll there if it amuses you but i've been and don't want to go back why when i got home the last time i was so upset that i almost took to my bed no no such abominations are too awful it isn't possible at this moment a voice bitter with displeasure arose from the chimney corner donna serafina was emerging from her long silence dario is quite right send your arms my dear and i will gladly add mine there are other places where you might take monsieur l'abbé and which it would be far more useful for him to see with that idea of yours you would send him away with a nice recollection of our city roman pride rang out amidst the old lady's bad temper why indeed show one sores to foreigners whose visit is possibly prompted by hostile curiosity one always ought to look beautiful rome should not be shown otherwise than in the garb of glory narcisse however had taken possession of pierre it's true my dear abbe said he i forgot to recommend that stroll to you you really must visit the new district built over the castle meadows it's typical and sums up all the others and you won't lose your time there i'll warrant you for nowhere can you learn more about the rome of the present day it's extraordinary extraordinary then addressing benedetta he added is it decided shall we say to-morrow morning you'll find the abbe and me over there for i want to explain matters to him beforehand in order that he may understand them what do you say to ten o'clock before answering him the contessina turned towards her aunt and respectively opposed her views but monsieur l'abbé aunt has met enough beggars in our streets already so he may well see everything besides judging by his book he won't see worse things than he has seen in paris as he says in one passage hunger is the same all the world over then with her sensible air she gently laid siege to dario you know dario said she you would please me very much by taking me there we can go in the carriage and join these gentlemen it will be a very pleasant outing for us it is such a long time since we went out together it was certainly that idea of going out with dario of having a pretext for a complete reconciliation with him that enchanted her he himself realized it and unable to escape he tried to treat the matter as a joke ah cousin he said it will be your fault i shall have the nightmare for a week an excursion like that spoils all the enjoyment of life for days and days the mere thought made him quiver with revolt however laughter again rang out around him and in spite of donna serafina's mute disapproval the appointment was finally fixed for the following morning at ten o'clock 
Chelia, as she went off, expressed deep regret that she could not form one of the party. But with the closed candour of a budding lily, she really took interest in Pierina alone. As she reached the ante-room, she whispered in her friend's ear, Take a good look at that beauty, my dear, so as to tell me whether she is so very beautiful, beautiful beyond compare. When Pierre met Narcisse near the castle of St. Angelo on the morrow, at nine o'clock, he was surprised to find him again languid and enraptured, plunged anew in artistic enthusiasm. At first not a word was said of the excursion. Narcisse related that he had risen at sunrise in order that he might spend an hour before Bernini's Santa Teresa. It seemed that when he did not see that statue for a week he suffered as acutely as if he were parted from some cherished mistress, and his adoration varied with the time of day, according to the light in which he beheld the figure. In the morning, when the pale glow of dawn steeped it in whiteness, he worshipped it with quite a mystical transport of the soul, whilst in the afternoon, when the glow of the declining sun's oblique rays seemed to permeate the marble, his passion became as fiery red as the blood of martyrs. Ah, my friend, said he with a weary air whilst his dreamy eyes faded to mauve, you have no idea how delightful and perturbing her awakening was this morning how languorously she opened her eyes like a pure candid virgin emerging from the embrace of the divinity one could die of rapture at the sight then growing calm again when he had taken a few steps he resumed in the voice of a practical man who does not lose his balance in the affairs of life we'll walk slowly towards the castle fields district the buildings yonder and on our way i'll tell you what i know of the things we shall see there it was the maddest affair imaginable, one of those delirious frenzies of speculation which have a splendour of their own, just like the superb, monstrous masterpiece of a man of genius whose mind is unhinged. I was told of it all by some relatives of mine, who took part in the gambling, and in point of fact made a good deal of money by it. Thereupon, with the clearness and precision of a financier, employing technical terms with perfect ease, he recounted the extraordinary adventure that all italy on the morrow of the occupation of rome should have been delirious with enthusiasm at the thought of at last possessing the ancient and glorious city the eternal capital to which the empire of the world had been promised was but natural it was so to say a legitimate explosion of the delight and the hopes of a young nation anxious to show its power the question was to make rome a modern capital worthy of a great kingdom and before aught else there were sanitary requirements to be dealt with the city needed to be cleansed of all the filth which disgraced it. One cannot nowadays imagine in what abominable putrescence the city of the popes, the Roma Sporca, which artists regret, was then steeped. The vast majority of the houses lacked even the most primitive arrangements, the public thoroughfares were used for all purposes, noble ruins served as store-places for sewage, the princely palaces were surrounded by filth, and the streets were perfect manure-beds which fostered frequent epidemics thus vast municipal works were absolutely necessary the question was one of health and life itself and in much the same way it was only right to think of building houses for the newcomers who would assuredly flock into the city there had been a precedent at berlin whose population after the establishment of the german empire had suddenly increased by some hundreds of thousands in the same way the population of rome would certainly be doubled tripled quadrupled for as the new centre of national life, the city could necessarily attract all the vis viva of the provinces. At this thought, pride stepped in. The fallen government of the Vatican must be shown what Italy was capable of achieving, what splendour she would bestow on the new and third Rome, which, by the magnificence of its thoroughfares and the multitude of its people, would far excel either the imperial or the papal city. True, during the early years some prudence was observed 
wisely enough houses were only built in proportion as they were required the population had doubled at one bound rising from two to four hundred thousand souls thanks to the arrival of the little world of employees and officials of the public services all those who live on the state or hope to live on it without mentioning the idlers and enjoyers of life whom a court always carries in its train however this influx of newcomers was a first cause of intoxication for every one imagined that the increase would continue and in fact become more and more rapid and so the city of the day before no longer seemed large enough it was necessary to make immediate preparations for the morrow's need by enlarging rome on all sides folks talked too of the paris of the second empire which had been so extended and transformed into a city of light and health but unfortunately on the banks of the tiber there was neither any preconcerted general plan nor any clear-seeing man master of the situation supported by powerful financial organizations and the work begun by pride prompted by the ambition of surpassing the rome of the caesars and the popes the determination to make the eternal predestined city the queen and centre of the world once more was completed by speculation one of those extraordinary gambling frenzies those tempests which arise rage destroy and carry everything away without premonitory warning or possibility of arresting their course all at once it was rumoured that land bought at five francs the metre had been sold again for a hundred francs the metre and thereupon the fever arose the fever of a nation which is passionately fond of gambling a flight of speculators descending from north italy swooped down upon rome the noblest and easiest of praise those needy famished mountaineers found spoils for every appetite in that voluptuous south where life is so benign and the very delights of the climate helped to corrupt and hasten moral gangrene at first too it was merely necessary to stoop money was to be found by the shovelful among the rubbish of the first districts which were opened up people who were clever enough to scent the course which the new thoroughfares would take and purchase buildings threatened with demolition increased their capital tenfold in a couple of years and after that the contagion spread infecting all classes the princes burgesses petty proprietors even the shopkeepers bakers grocers and bootmakers the delirium rising to such a pitch that a mere baker subsequently failed for forty-five millions nothing indeed was left but rageful gambling in which the stakes were millions whilst the lands and the houses became mere fictions mere pretexts for stock exchange operations and thus the old hereditary pride which had dreamt of transforming rome into the capital of the world was heated to madness by the high fever of speculation folks buying and building and selling without limit without a pause even as one might throw shares upon the market as fast and as long as presses can be found to print them no other city in course of evolution has ever furnished such a spectacle nowadays when one strives to penetrate things one is confounded the population had increased to five hundred thousand and then seemingly remained stationary nevertheless new districts continued to sprout up more thickly than ever yet what folly it was not to wait for a further influx of inhabitants why continue piling up accommodation for thousands of families whose advent was uncertain the only excuse lay in having beforehand propounded the proposition that the third rome the triumphant capital of italy could not count less than a million souls and in regarding that proposition as an indisputable fact the people had not come but they surely would come no patriot could doubt it without being guilty of treason and so houses were built and built without a pause for the half million citizens who were coming there was no anxiety as to the date of their arrival it was sufficient that they should be expected 
inside rome the companies which had been formed in connection with the new thoroughfares passing through the old demolished pestiferous districts certainly sold or let their house property and thereby realized large profits but as the craze increased other companies were established for the purpose of erecting yet more and more districts outside rome veritable little towns of which there was no need whatever beyond the porta san giovanni and the porta san lorenzo suburbs sprang up as by miracle a town was sketched out over the vast estate of the villa ludovisi from the porta pia to the porta salaria and even as far as sant'agnese and then came an attempt to make quite a little city with church school and market arise all at once on the fields of the castle of sant'angelo and it was no question of small dwellings for labourers modest flats for employees and others of limited means no it was a question of colossal mansions three and four stories high displaying uniform and endless facades which made these new eccentral quarters quite babylonian such districts indeed as only capitals endowed with intense life like paris and london could contrive to populate however such were the monstrous products of pride and gambling and what a page of history what a bitter lesson now that rome financially ruined is further disgraced by that hideous girdle of empty and for the most part uncompleted carcasses whose ruins already strew the grassy streets the fatal collapse the disaster proved a frightful one narcisse explained its causes and recounted its phases so clearly that pierre fully understood naturally enough numerous financial companies had sprouted up the immobiliere the societa dedilizia construzione the fondaria the tiberiana and the esquilino nearly all of them built erected huge houses entire streets of them for purposes of sale but they also gambled in land selling plots at large profit to petty speculators who also dreamt of making large profits amidst the continuous fictitious rise brought about by the growing fever of adjotage and the worst was that the petty speculators the middle-class people the inexperienced shopkeepers without capital were crazy enough to build in their turn by borrowing of the banks or applying to the companies which had sold them the land for sufficient cash to enable them to complete their structures as a general rule to avoid the loss of everything the companies were one day compelled to take back both land and buildings incomplete though the latter might be and from the congestion which resulted they were bound to perish if the expected million of people had arrived to occupy the dwellings prepared for them the gains would have been fabulous and in ten years rome might have become one of the most flourishing capitals of the world but the people did not come and the dwellings remained empty moreover the buildings erected by the companies were too large and costly for the average investor inclined to put his money into house property heredity had acted the builders had planned things on too huge a scale raising a series of magnificent piles whose purpose was to dwarf those of all other ages but as it happened they were fated to remain lifeless and deserted testifying with wondrous eloquence to the impotence of pride so there was no private capital that dared or could take the place of that of the companies elsewhere in paris for instance new districts have been erected and embellishments have been carried out with the capital of the country the money saved by dint of thrift but in rome all was built on the credit system either by means of bills of exchange at ninety days or and this was chiefly the case by borrowing money abroad the huge sum sunk in these enterprises is estimated at a milliard four-fifths of which was french money the bankers did everything the french ones lent to the italian bankers at three and a half or four per cent and the italian bankers accommodated the speculators the roman builders at six seven and even eight per cent 
and thus the disaster was great indeed when france learning of italy's alliance with germany withdrew her eight hundred million francs in less than two years the italian banks were drained of their specie and the land and building companies being likewise compelled to reimburse their loans were compelled to apply to the banks of issue those privileged to issue notes at the same time they intimidated the government threatening to stop all work and throw forty thousand artisans and labourers starving on the pavement of rome if it did not compel the banks of issue to lend them the five or six millions of paper which they needed and this the government at last did appalled by the possibility of universal bankruptcy naturally however the five or six millions could not be paid back at maturity as the newly built houses found neither purchasers nor tenants and so the great fall began and continued with a rush heaping ruin upon ruin the petty speculators fell on the builders the builders on the land companies the land companies on the banks of issue and the latter on the public credit ruining the nation and that was how a mere municipal crisis became a frightful disaster a whole milliard sunk to no purpose rome disfigured littered with the ruins of the gaping and empty dwellings which had been prepared for the five or six hundred thousand inhabitants for whom the city yet waits in vain moreover in the breeze of glory which swept by the state itself took a colossal view of things it was a question of at once making italy triumphant and perfect of accomplishing in five and twenty years what other nations have required centuries to effect so there was feverish activity and a prodigious outlay on canals ports roads railway lines and improvements in all the great cities directly after the alliance with germany moreover the military and naval estimates began to devour millions to no purpose and the ever-growing financial requirements were simply met by the issue of paper by a fresh loan each succeeding year in rome alone too the building of the ministry of war cost ten millions that of the ministry of finances fifteen whilst a hundred was spent on the yet unfinished keys and two hundred and fifty was sunk on works of defence around the city and all this was a flare of the old hereditary pride springing from that soil whose sap can only blossom in extravagant projects the determination to dazzle and conquer the world which comes as soon as one has climbed to the capital even though one's feet rest amidst the accumulated dust of all the forms of human power which have there crumbled one above the other and my dear friend continued narcisse if i could go into all the stories that are current that are whispered here and there you would be stupefied at the insanity which overcame the whole city amidst the terrible fever to which the gambling passion gave rise folks of small account and fools and ignorant people were not the only ones to be ruined nearly all the roman nobles lost their ancient fortunes their gold and their palaces and their galleries of masterpieces which they owed to the munificence of the popes the colossal wealth which it had taken centuries of nepotism to pile up in the hands of a few melted away like wax in less than ten years in the levelling fire of modern speculation then forgetting that he was speaking to a priest he went on to relate one of the whispered stories to which he had alluded there's our good friend dario prince boccanera the last of the name reduced to live on the crumbs which fall to him from his uncle the cardinal who has little beyond his stipend left him well dario would be a rich man had it not been for the extraordinary affair of the villa montefiore you have heard of it no doubt our prince onofrio dario's father speculated sold the villa grounds for ten millions then bought them back and built on them and how at last not only the ten millions were lost but also all that remained of the once colossal fortune of the Bocaneras. What you haven't been told, however, is the secret part which Count Prada, our Contesina's husband, played in the affair. He was the lover of Princess Bocanera, the beautiful Flavia Montefiori, 
who had brought the villa as dowry to the old prince she was a very fine woman much younger than her husband and it is positively said that it was through her that prada mastered the prince for she held her old doting husband at arm's length whenever he hesitated to give a signature or go farther into the affair of which he had scented the danger and in all this prada gained the millions which he now spends while as for the beautiful flavia you are aware no doubt that she saved a little fortune from the wreck and bought herself a second and much younger husband whom she turned into a marquis montefiori in the whole affair the only victim is our good friend dario who is absolutely ruined and wishes to marry his cousin who is as poor as himself it's true that she's determined to have him and that it's impossible for him not to reciprocate her love but for that he would have already married some american girl with a dowry of millions like so many of the ruined princes on the verge of starvation have done that is unless the cardinal and donna seraphina had opposed such a match which would not have been surprising proud and stubborn as they are anxious to preserve the purity of their old roman blood however let us hope that dario and the exquisite benedetta will some day be happy together narcisse paused but after taking a few steps in silence he added in a lower tone i have a relative who picked up nearly three millions in that villa montefiori affair ah i regret that i wasn't here in those heroic days of speculation it must have been very amusing and what strokes there were for a man of self-possession to make however all at once as he raised his head he saw before him the quartiere dei prati the new district of the castle fields and his face thereupon changed he again became an artist indignant with the modern abominations with which old rome had been disfigured his eyes paled and a curl of his lips expressed the bitter disdain of a dreamer whose passion for the vanished centuries was sorely hurt look look at it all he exclaimed to think of it in the city of augustus the city of leo x the city of eternal power and eternal beauty pierre himself was thunderstruck the meadows of the castle of st angelo dotted with a few poplar trees and here formerly stretched alongside the tiber as far as the first slopes of monte mario thus supplying to the satisfaction of artists a foreground of greenery to the borgo and the dome of st peter's but now amidst the white leprous overturned plain there stood a town of huge massive houses cubes of stonework invariably the same with broad streets intersecting one another at right angles from end to end similar facades appeared suggesting series of convents barracks or hospitals extraordinary and painful was the impression produced by this town so suddenly immobilized whilst in course of erection it was as if on some accursed morning a wicked magician had with one touch of his wand stopped the works and emptied the noisy stone-yards leaving the buildings in mournful abandonment here on one side the soil had been banked up there deep pits dug for foundations had remained gaping overrun with weeds there were houses whose walls scarcely rose above the level of the soil others which had been raised to a second or third floor others again which had been carried as high as was intended and even roofed in suggesting skeletons or empty cages then there were houses finished excepting that their walls had not been plastered others which had been left without window frames shutters or doors others again which had their doors and shutters but were nailed up like coffins with not a soul inside them and yet others which were partly and in a few cases fully inhabited animated by the most unexpected of populations and no words could describe the fearful mournfulness of that city of the sleeping beauty hushed into mortal slumber before it had even lived lying annihilated beneath the heavy sun pending an awakening which likely enough would never come 
following his companion pierre walked along the broad deserted streets where all was still as in a cemetery not a vehicle nor a pedestrian passed by some streets had no footways weeds were covering the unpaved roads turning them once more into fields and yet there were temporary gas lamps mere leaden pipes bound to poles which had been there for years to avoid payment of the door and window tax the house owners had generally closed all apertures with planks while some houses of which little had been built were surrounded by high palings for fear lest their cellars should become the dens of all the bandits of the district but the most painful sight of all was that of the young ruins the proud lofty structures which although unfinished were already cracking on all sides and required the support of an intricate arrangement of timbers to prevent them from falling in dust upon the ground a pang came to one's heart as though one were in a city which some scourge had depopulated pestilence war or bombardment of which these gaping carcasses seemed to retain the mark then at the thought that this was abortion not death that destruction would complete its work before the dreamt of vainly awaited denizens would bring life to the stillborn houses one's melancholy deepened to hopeless discouragement and at each corner moreover there was the frightful irony of the magnificent marble slabs which bore the names of the streets illustrious historical names gracchus scipio pliny pompey julius caesar blazing forth on those unfinished crumbling walls like a buffet dealt by the past to modern incompetency then pierre was once more struck by this truth that whosoever possesses rome is consumed by the building frenzy the passion for marble the boastful desire to build and leave his monument of glory to future generations after the caesars and the popes had come the italian government which was no sooner master of the city than it wished to reconstruct it make it more splendid more huge than it had ever been before it was the fatal suggestion of the soil itself the blood of augustus rushing to the brain of these last comers and urging them to a mad desire to make the third rome the queen of the earth thence had come all the vast schemes such as the cyclopean keys and the mere ministries struggling to outvie the Colosseum. and thence had come all the new districts of gigantic houses which had sprouted like towns around the ancient city it was not only in the castle fields but at the porta san giovanni the porta san lorenzo the villa ludovisi and on the heights of the viminal and the esquiline that unfinished empty districts were already crumbling amidst the weeds of their deserted streets after two thousand years of prodigious fertility the soil really seemed to be exhausted even as in very old fruit gardens newly planted plum and cherry trees wither and die so the new walls no doubt found no life in that old dust of rome impoverished by the immemorial growth of so many temples circuses arches basilicas and churches and thus the modern houses which men had sought to render fruitful the useless over-huge houses swollen with hereditary ambition had been unable to attain maturity and remained there sterile like dry bushes on a plot of land exhausted by over-cultivation and the frightful sadness that one felt arose from the fact that so creative and great a past had culminated in such present-day impotency rome who had covered the world with indestructible monuments now so reduced that she could only generate ruins oh they'll be finished some day said pierre narcisse gazed at him in astonishment for whom that was the cruel question only by dint of patriotic enthusiasm on the morrow of the conquest had one been able to indulge in the hope of a mighty influx of population and now singular blindness was needed for the belief that such an influx would ever take place the past experiment seemed decisive 
moreover there was no reason why the population should double rome offered neither the attraction of pleasure nor that of gain to be amassed in commerce and industry for those she had not nor of intensity of social and intellectual life since of this she seemed no longer capable in any case years and years would be requisite and meantime how could one people those houses which were finished and for whom was one to finish those which had remained mere skeletons falling to pieces under sun and rain must they all remain there indefinitely some gaunt and open to every blast and others closed and silent like tombs in the wretched hideousness of their inutility and abandonment what a terrible proof of error they offered under the radiant sky the new masters of rome had made a bad start and even if they now know what they ought to have done would they have the courage to undo what they had done since the milliards sunk there seemed to be definitely lost and wasted one actually hoped for the advent of a nero endowed with mighty sovereign will who would take torch and pick and burn and raise everything in the avenging name of reason and beauty ah resumed narcisse here are the contesina and the prince benedetta had told the coachman to pull up in one of the open spaces intersecting the deserted streets and now along the broad quiet grassy road well fitted for a lover's stroll she was approaching on dario's arm both of them delighted with their outing and no longer thinking of the sad things which they had come to see what a nice day it is the contesina gaily exclaimed as she reached pierre and narcisse how pleasant the sunshine is it's quite a treat to be able to walk about a little as if one were in the country dario was the first to cease smiling at the blue sky all the delight of his stroll with his cousin on his arm suddenly departing my dear said he we must go to see those people since you are bent on it though it will certainly spoil our day but first i must take my bearings i'm not particularly clever you know in finding my way in places where i don't care to go besides this district is idiotic with all its dead streets and dead houses and never a face or a shop to serve as a reminder still i think the place is over yonder follow me at all events we shall see the four friends then wended their way towards the central part of the district the part facing the tiber where a small nucleus of a population had collected the landlords turned the few completed houses to the best advantage they could letting the rooms at very low rentals and waiting patiently enough for payment some needy employees some poverty-stricken families had thus installed themselves there and in the long run contrived to pay a trifle for their accommodation in consequence however of the demolition of the ancient ghetto and the opening of the new streets by which air had been let into the trastevere district perfect hordes of tattered demalions famished and homeless and almost without garments had swooped upon the unfinished houses filling them with wretchedness and vermin and it had been necessary to tolerate this lawless occupation lest all the frightful misery should remain displayed in the public thoroughfares and so it was to those frightful tenants that had fallen the huge four and five-storied palaces entered by monumental doorways flanked by lofty statues and having carved balconies upheld by caryatides all along their fronts each family had made its choice often closing the frameless windows with boards and the gaping doorways with rags and occupying now an entire princely flat and now a few small rooms according to its taste horrid-looking linen hung drying from the carved balconies foul stains already degraded the white walls and from the magnificent porches intended for sumptuous equipages there poured a stream of filth which rotted in stagnant pools in the roads where there was neither pavement nor footpath on two occasions already dario had caused his companions to retrace their steps he was losing his way and becoming more and more gloomy 
i ought to have turned to the left said he but how is one to know amidst such a set as that parties of verminous children were now to be seen rolling in the dust they were wondrously dirty almost naked with black skins and tangled locks as coarse as horsehair there were also women in sordid skirts with their loose jackets unhooked many stood talking together in yelping voices whilst others seated on old chairs with their hands on their knees remained like that idle for hours not many men were met but a few lay on the scorched grass sleeping heavily in the sunlight however the stench was becoming unbearable a stench of misery as when the human animal eschews all cleanliness to wallow in filth and matters were made worse by the smell from a small improvised market the emanations of the rotting fruit cooked and sour vegetables and stale fried fish which a few poor women had set out on the ground amidst a throng of famished covetous children ah oh, well my dear i really don't know where it is all at once exclaimed the prince addressing his cousin be reasonable we've surely seen enough let's go back to the carriage he was really suffering and as benedetta had said he did not know how to suffer it seemed to him monstrous that one should sadden one's life by such an excursion as this life ought to be buoyant and benign under the clear sky brightened by pleasant sights by dance and song and he with his naive egotism had a positive horror of ugliness poverty and suffering the sight of which caused him both mental and physical pain benedetta shuddered even as he did but in presence of pierre she desired to be brave glancing at him and seeing how deeply interested and compassionate he looked she desired to persevere in her effort to sympathize with the humble and the wretched no no dario we must stay these gentlemen wish to see everything is it not so oh the rome of to-day is here exclaimed pierre this tells one more about it than all the promenades among the ruins and the monuments you exaggerate my dear abbe declared narcisse still i will admit that it is very interesting some of the old women are particularly expressive at this moment benedetta seeing a superbly beautiful girl in front of her could not restrain a cry of enraptured admiration oh che bellezza and then dario having recognized the girl exclaimed with the same delight why it's la pierina she'll show us the way the girl had been following the party for a moment already without daring to approach her eyes glittering with the joy of a loving slave had at first darted towards the prince and then had hastily scrutinized the contesina not however with any show of jealous anger but with the expression of affectionate submission and resigned happiness at seeing that she also was very beautiful and the girl fully answered to the prince's description of her tall sturdy with the bust of a goddess a real antique a juno of twenty her chin somewhat prominent her mouth and nose perfect in contour her eyes large and full like a heifer's and her whole face quite dazzling gilded so to say by a sun-flash beneath her cask of heavy jet-black hair so you will show us the way said benedetta familiar and smiling already consoled for all the surrounding ugliness by the thought that there should be such beautiful creatures in the world oh yes signora yes at once and thereupon pierina ran off before them her feet in shoes which at any rate had no holes whilst the old brown woollen dress which she wore appeared to have been recently washed and mended one seemed to divine in her a certain coquettish care a desire for cleanliness which none of the others displayed unless indeed it were simply that her great beauty lent radiance to her humble garments and made her appear a goddess che bellezza che bellezza the contesina repeated without wearying 
That girl, Dario Mio, is a real feast for the eyes. I knew she would please you, he quietly replied, flattered at having discovered such a beauty, and no longer talking of departure, since he could at last rest his eyes on something pleasant. Behind them came Pierre, likewise full of admiration, whilst Narcisse spoke to him of the scrupulosity of his own tastes, which were for the rare and the subtle. She's beautiful, no doubt, said he, but at bottom nothing can be more gross than the Roman style of beauty. There's no soul, none of the infinite in it. These girls simply have blood under their skins, without ever a glimpse of heaven. Meantime Pierina had stopped, and with a wave of the hand directed attention to her mother, who sat on a broken box beside the lofty doorway of an unfinished mansion. She also must have once been very beautiful, but at forty she was already a wreck, with dim eyes, drawn mouth, black teeth, broadly wrinkled countenance, and huge fallen bosom. And she was also fearfully dirty, her grey wavy hair dishevelled and her skirt and jacket soiled and slit, revealing glimpses of grimy flesh. On her knees she held a sleeping infant, her last-born, at whom she gazed like one overwhelmed and courageless, like a beast of burden resigned to her fate. "'Bene, bene,' said she, raising her head. "'It's the gentleman who came to give me a crown because he saw you crying, and he's come back to see us with some friends. Well, well, there are some good hearts in the world after all.'" End of section 15